Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Our scripture reading today is going to be uh, Mark 16, 1 through 6. That's Mark 16, 1 through 6. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Brian, thank you for doing our reading this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our Savior, our resurrected Lord, our friend and our God, we love you. We're grateful to you. We worship you. Lord, our words are not enough, so we love you and we express our gratefulness by the way we live. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. And Lord, we celebrate you today, and we pray that as we focus on you, we'd also focus on our relationship with you, and that relationship would be magnified and improved and be what you want it to be. May the Holy Spirit speak to us, and may you speak afresh to us a story that we've heard before, but we need to hear again and again. May the Holy Spirit speak through me words that are true, that magnify Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but the Gospel of Mark has a rather odd ending to the Easter story. In fact, it's so odd that later writers tried to improve it. And if you look carefully in your English Bible, you'll see that you have three optional endings to the Gospel of Mark. There is the short ending, there is the long ending, and then there's the long ending with an addendum <laughs> that someone added. And I find that rather odd, may I say even a little bit weird. You know, Easter is a weird and a wonderful holiday. It's celebrated not just by Christians, but it's celebrated by atheists and agnostics and pagans as well. While celebrating Easter with my devout Mexican Catholic friends in Mazatlan, Mexico, the day started off on Good Friday with an entire football stadium, we'd call it a soccer stadium, filled with young people. And they were there to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ on Good Friday. And they had worship songs, and they made banners and, and signs, and they had messages that they heard. And then the culmination of this celebration on Good Friday was the entire football stadium emptied out in quiet procession carrying signs that read Jesus saves and things like that in Spanish, of course, and pictures of Jesus, and quietly without a word, marched through the main streets of the city of Mazatlan. 
as the town folk watched on in reverence, and as, much to my embarrassment, my fellow Americans, young adults who were on spring break, were inebriated, going from bar to bar, watching on. Easter is a weird and wonderful holiday. My Mexican friends told me that they had heard that in America, we celebrate Easter with chocolate bunnies and marshmallow bunnies and colored hard-boiled eggs hidden in our yards for our children to find. And they looked at me with bewildered looks and in Spanish asked, Por qué? (laughs) Why? And I didn't know how to answer them in Spanish or in English. Easter is a weird yet wonderful holiday. And when you grow up with weird, it can be normal to you. (laughs) Hunting for colored Easter eggs or eating chocolate bunnies or celebrating the fact that the creator of the universe took on human flesh so that he could die for his creatures who hate him and murdered him. And that story is weird. And if it weren't true, I don't think anybody could make up such a weird story. As I mentioned at the outstart, Mark's gospel has an odd, even a weird ending to the Easter story. Now, Mark as a writer was the most succinct of the writers, and his gospel is the shortest of the gospels. He wrote in succinct fashion, focusing on the actions of Jesus, not the teachings of Jesus. Now, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all write about bits and pieces of Jesus' 30 years or 33 years of life on earth. And they gear their Gospels to different audiences, and so they have a different emphasis. Matthew, for example, being a Jew, wrote his Gospel with the Jews in mind, and that's why Matthew is the Gospel that quotes the Old Testament throughout his Gospel. Whereas Luke, who is the only Greek to write not only a gospel, but to write any of the New Testament, he writes with the Greeks in mind. And then John, he wrote with everyone in mind, and he emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. And our beloved Mark, as he writes, he writes with the Romans in mind, who like action, And so Mark puts in the action, and if you read the gospel, he has the word and in there 1,375 times. And out of the 59 times that the word immediately is used in the New Testament, 41 out of those 59 times are used by Mark. Go through there and highlight and, and it will be in almost every single verse in the entire gospel. And you read it, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, and you get exhausted reading Mark. And when it comes to the end of Mark, he hits the highlight, Jesus rose from the dead. Wham, done. And you go, whoa, wait a minute, Mark, wasn't there more? Now, I'd like to read for you, which Brian has already read beautifully, again, Mark 16, 1 to 6, but I'm going to add the last two verses of the Gospel of Mark. 
Mark 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, that would be Saturday for them, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. You don't buy spices for people who are still living. They're expecting a stinking cadaver. If you read the gospel stories, you'll see there is not one disciple who expected the resurrection. That's why no one was there when Jesus rose from the dead of his disciples. And very early on the first day of the week, we'd call that Sunday, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. That's why we normally have a sunrise service, which we could not have this year. Plus, there was no sun to rise, apparently. (laughs) And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They knew the stone weighed tons, but apparently they didn't know that the stone had a Roman seal on it, and it would be illegal to break that seal. Of course, Jesus, by his resurrection, (laughs) broke the law. The resurrection was illegal. Someone suggested to me this morning in a little message that they sent me of the tomb with the stone moved away that this was the first failed government lockdown, by the way. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. Often the angels, when they show up, they're so majestic with flames and glowing and thunderous voices that people are scared to death. So this angel took on the form of a young man, not quite as scary, but still surprising. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter's singled out because he had denied Jesus three times. He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid, and that's where Mark apparently ends his gospel. Later writers, several centuries later, add a longer ending, and that longer ending contains things that are true, that are found in other gospels, but the earliest Greek manuscripts do not contain them. What I like about Mark's abrupt ending to the Easter story is that it makes it your story. You get to write how the story ends once Jesus Christ rises from the dead. Jesus has risen from the dead. What are you going to do about it? And what you do about it is the rest of the Easter story. And although the title of this sermon had previously been announced as the deadly cure, somehow on Easter that seemed a little negative. (laughs) So I officially change it. I can do that. (laughs) And I change it to the more friendly and more engaging title, Easter is your story. It's your story. You see, Mark's abrupt ending, the ending with Jesus having risen from the dead as he promised he would, lets you, lets me write the rest of the story and make it personal. So let me ask you, How have you written the rest of the story? Because Easter is your story. 
It's a story that reveals that death is the path to life. That's the series we've been in, a mini-series, as I called it, with three sermons. The first one was the deadly choice made by Adam and Eve, and they made the deadly choice to disobey God and to sin, and that plunged them and the rest of the world into death. It was a deadly choice. And you have disobeyed God, you have sinned, you have made deadly choices, and your deadly choices also lead to death, with hell waiting to welcome you, depending on how you respond to the Easter story. And our second sermon in the series was entitled, The Deadly Plan. As soon as Adam and Eve made their deadly choice, God revealed the deadly plan. The plan was for His Son, Jesus Christ, to die, that you and I might live. And in this third sermon in the series, the last one formerly known as the deadly cure, we celebrate the fact that by His death, Jesus cures us from death. And that is quite a cure. It's the deadly cure. There's a lot of debate these days about the COVID vaccine, if it is really a cure or whether it's a curse. And I could give you my personal opinion, but then you'd be thinking about the COVID vaccine and my personal opinion, and when you leave, you'd be debating with me rather than saying Happy Easter to me. God bless you. So I'm going to leave it there. But what I want to comment on is Jesus, who was cursed that you and I might be cured, and that is the vaccine to death if you choose to take it. Now, we know from the other Gospels how other people finished writing their personal Easter story. Let's review a few. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us that the guards guarding the tomb to make sure the body didn't escape totally failed at their job. They had one job, keep the body there. And they fell like dead men, they failed, and the body is gone. So how did they write the rest of their Easter story? They lied. They totally lied about Easter, and that's how their story ends. When it comes to the Easter story, someone is lying to you. These guards lied and said someone stole the body. They perpetrated and perpetuated the Easter lie. And someone is lying to us about Easter as well. Either the Easter story is true or the Easter story is not true. The Easter story can't be partially true. Jesus didn't partially rise from the dead. He didn't almost rise from the dead. He didn't theoretically rise from the dead. He either rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. You should either celebrate Jesus rising from the dead or you should just focus on the Easter bunny. It's either true or it's not true. And the guards decided that they would write the Easter story for themselves saying it is not true. And you have to decide if you believe it or not. As Pastor Andy Stanley puts it so well, he says, when someone promises to rise from the dead and pulls it off, you ought to listen to them. (laughs) The guards didn't listen. 
Now Luke, the only Greek to write any of the New Testament, tells us a different Easter story ending, unique to Luke. It's a story about two disciples. If you've ever seen the painting of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you can picture it with two men on the road to Emmaus, disciples. But the text never tells us it's two men, as if only men can be disciples of Christ. (laughs) As you read the story, it makes more sense that this is a husband and wife. This is a couple. They've been on a journey together, and they're going home together. And they originally believed in Jesus until he was crucified. And now they have their doubts, and they're sad. They thought he was the Messiah, but he's been crucified, and now it's been three days. And suddenly a stranger is walking beside them as they're walking the seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to their home in Emmaus. And this stranger starts conversing with them, and as is the custom, the couple invites the stranger into their home to have dinner. And as they're having dinner, the stranger is sharing the gospel message from the Old Testament, and suddenly they realize that this stranger is Jesus Christ. And the ending of their Easter story goes from sad to glad. And they embrace Jesus. And then he disappears. And that very night, they turn around and walk another seven miles from Emmaus back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples the end of their Easter story. That Jesus has risen from the dead. So let me ask you, how does your personal Easter story end, and who are you telling about it? Is your story a fairy tale? Is it a tradition? Is it fictional? Is it impersonal? Is it still waiting to be written? Have you shared it with other people? We all like happy endings to stories. In fact, when a a writer of a movie or a book gives us an unexpected, sad, bad ending where the hero doesn't get the girl or the hero doesn't get the boy, depending on the show or the movie or the book, we're disappointed. Mark Twain's Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is arguably the most famous American novel, but it's also infamous for its bad ending. Critics and readers have blasted Mark Twain's ending. And lest you forgot the ending, never read the book, or been trying to block it out of you, block of your mind, I'm going to tell you the ending. The protagonist, Huckleberry Finn, has befriended a runaway slave by the name of Jim in a society that was extremely racist, of course. He's become friends with Jim. He now sees him as a human being, as he never did before. And at the end of the story, Jim has an opportunity to continue his freedom, but Huckleberry Finn messes it up for him, and Jim is captured, and Huckleberry Finn laughs it off with his friend Tom Sawyer and goes on with his life like nothing bad has happened. It is a tragic but true ending, and I think Mark Twain ended it like that on purpose. So there'd be a shock to the readers. Easter is a great story. But the story doesn't end well 
for everyone. In fact, it may not end well for you. Unless you make the facts of Easter personal, unless you personally and deliberately ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, moving it from the theoretical to the personal, you literally have hell to pay, the Bible says. And you won't go to be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. So how does your Easter story end? When I was in the Navy as a Navy chaplain, I served aboard the USS Gridley, a guided missile cruiser that's since been decommissioned. I've sort of been decommissioned too, I guess, in some respects. But uh, it was time for Easter, and we were in the middle of the Indian Ocean, keeping the world safe for democracy, going circles around the Indian Ocean. And, and it was Easter time, and so I asked the captain of the ship if I could have a sunrise service outside on the deck of the ship to give us something beautiful to celebrate and, and a little change in the monotony. And he thought that was a great idea. So I had to find out, of course, what time sunrise would be. So I called up on the ship's phone from my stateroom up to the bridge. I called Manny, my friend and fellow officer who's a navigator. I said, Manny, what time will sunrise be tomorrow morning on Easter? He says, well, chaplain, it, it's not that easy. I have to know where we're going to be. And we're a moving ship and we get orders and we have to move and I have to do some calculating. I'll get back to you. Sometime later, Manny gets back to me on the ship's phone. He calls and he says, Chaplain, the uh, sun will come up about 6 o'clock in the morning. I go, okay, perfect. A little while later, he calls me back. Oh, no, no, there's a change and this and then It's going to come up at 545. Oh, well, good glad you told me. We don't want to miss it. And this went on several times. And finally, I realized I have no idea what time the sun's going to come up. So I thought, we'll just have a really early service and I'll kind of stall until the sun comes up. So Easter morning came. It's dark. I'm on the deck of the ship with my assistant. We're setting up folding chairs, and he looks at me and says, Chaplain, which way do you want the chairs to face? <laughs> ah, I mean, we know the sun comes up in the east. We're on a moving ship. We're going in circles. We don't even know when it's going to come up, come up let alone where it's going to come up. So I have to make this command decision because I'm the officer. So I say, set up the chairs facing the bow of the ship, the front of the ship. So he's setting up the chairs. I'm setting up the chairs, and as we get them all set up, few people start to trickle in. He goes, chaplain, very concerned. Notice over to the starboard side, the right-hand side, it's getting light over there. The sun's coming up over there, and he's a sailor. He should know. I'm just a chaplain. So he says, chaplain, we need to turn the chairs 90 degrees to face the sun. I said, no, just leave the chairs where they are. So we left the chairs where they were, facing the bow of the ship, Captain comes, sits down, other crew members come and sit down. Right before the service starts, the sailor comes up to me and says, Chaplain, please, look at the starboard side. It's getting orange over there. We have to ask everybody just to stand up, and they could just rotate their chairs 90 degrees so they can see the sun. And I said, no, I'm sure the sun will come up off the bow of the ship. He just shook his head and walked away. The service started, and as the sun came up over the horizon... The ship turned 90 degrees into the sun. And the sun came up off the bow of the ship. Because I talked to Manny the Navigator. <laughs> and I said, when the sun comes up, would you please turn the ship into the sun? <laughs> so what moved? It wasn't the sun. It was us. And if you can't see the sun, you need to move. You're in the wrong place.
Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, even if you're watching on the live stream, I'd like you to look at your hearts before the Lord. I have to ask you, how does your Easter story end? How your Easter story ends will determine where you spend eternity, heaven or hell. And that's your choice. No one else can make it for you. Only you. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe he rose from the grave and conquered death, but you've never asked him to come and save you, to come into your life, to give you eternal life, then I urge you even at this very moment to do it to cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. You don't have to know much. You just have to have a little faith and believe in him and trust him, and he will do the rest. If you haven't finished your Easter story, finish it this Easter by receiving Jesus. Lord Jesus, we magnify you. We pray that we would see you more clearly, that we would follow you more closely, more dearly. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen.